as we read from Paul's letter to the Corinthians to see what God has to say to us today, beginning chapter 1, verse 10. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Do you know the name Henry Nowen? He was a Roman Catholic priest, a professor at several prestigious universities, a widely read author, leader of retreats, spiritual guide. I'm using one a book that was edited from his many writings into daily devotions this year as part of my devotional time. Last week, as I was beginning working on this passage, this was one of the devotions for the day. I want to read you a few sentences now and writes. At issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry, and a little rejection makes me depressed. Yet a little praise raises my spirits, and a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. Often I'm like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of of the waves all the time and energy I spend in keeping some kind of balance and preventing myself from being tipped over and drowning shows that my life is mostly a struggle for survival not a holy struggle but an anxious struggle resulting from the mistaken idea that it is the world that defines me as long as we belong to this world, we will remain subject to its competitive ways and expect to be rewarded for all the good we do. But when we belong to God, who loves us without conditions, we can live as God does. The great conversion called for by Jesus is to move from belonging to the world to belonging to God. In this section from 1 Corinthians, Paul is asking the same question as now and in the devotion, to whom do you belong? To the world and other people's opinions or to God? 
He gets specific in this section we read. Is it other leaders in the church, in your locality? Or is Christ the head of the church? Just to remind you, Paul's writing to this group, small group, relatively new church that Paul had started, people he had gathered when he was in Corinth. Now he's moved on to proclaim the gospel in other places. And the unity and the excitement and the synergy of the new church has worn off. And now they are fighting with each other and apparently jockeying for position. They've broken up into factions. Remember the beginning of the letter we read last week, Paul was building this theological foundation. He was being very positive about how they are a unified one church. But by verse 13, he's ready for critique. He writes, has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course, the answer to all those is no. All of that happened in the name of Jesus Christ, not Paul or Apollos or Cephas or anyone else. Well, Paul's going to criticize them throughout this letter. He can be pretty harsh. You will hear him get very specific later in the letter with his critique. Yet it is important to remember that none of the criticism undermines the original foundation that Paul presented in the opening verses where he said to all these different people and these different factions, you are called and sanctified in Jesus Christ. God has acted in the cross for your salvation. This is not your own doing. This is not the doing of any local leader. God has acted in the cross of Christ and revealed this magnificent love that will go to any extent to save us or make us whole or to bring us into the family of faith. I believe Henry Nouwen and Paul are saying the same thing. Our true identity is that we belong to God. We are beloved children of God. Our core identity comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. What determines your identity or your worth, Paul is saying, not anything going on between you and others in other factions or you and your local leader, your identity, your calling, is from God in Jesus Christ. Paul and Christian theologians throughout the ages have declared that our salvation, our worthiness, comes by grace, a free gift offered to us in Christ. Paul is saying, forget about all those factions and all that infighting inside the church. And don't worry about who presented the message with the most eloquence. Focus on the message. Remember Jesus Christ. You can hear it in verse 17 when he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. 
I would suggest to you that even though Paul's calling for them to all agree, he is looking for more than changed opinions. He is looking for changed lives. Lives that are willing to serve and suffer and sacrifice for the good of another, for the revelation of God's love to be poured into the life of another. Recently, the mother-in-law of one of our United Methodist pastors passed away. He pastors in Kansas City. She lived her whole life there. She lived, I think, a remarkable life in Christ, but I suppose I would imagine you never heard her name. Her name was Betty Lou Donaldson. She was born into a Roman Catholic family, raised in the church, but once she was married and had children, one of her daughters married a young man who became a United Methodist pastor. So she began to go to the small church to which he was assigned. Before her death, she wrote some of her own obituary. I always find it interesting to see what people want to say before they die and what they want people to hear after they are gone. One of the interesting things I thought that she said was that she was over her school days before she recognized the real purpose for school. And I thought, how many of us have spent lots of time doing something before we recognize the real purpose? Or we miss the meat of something and only understand when we look back. She also had another nice turn of phrase. She wrote, I have now come to understand what gives my life its smile. I thought that was beautiful she said it is the ever-present one-on-one with God and the relationships I am privileged to share with my friends and family she was raised in Kansas City schools graduated from college married had two daughters she was raising them went back to work First as a high school teacher, then she sort of transitioned out of teaching into human services, still working with teenagers, finally finishing decades of working in the juvenile justice system in Kansas City. I thought it was interesting, not only what she said, but what others had to say about her. Here's a couple of lines out of her obituary. Others said, first and foremost, she was a loving mother and grandmother who put her family first in spite of a demanding professional career. She was of strong character and continually stood up for what she believed in. She was sweet but tough. She was kind and gentle, but she was also fierce. They also write about her church life and said she was a devoted member of St. James United Methodist Church. She regularly attended Wednesday afternoon Bible study, enjoyed welcoming people as a church greeter on Sunday mornings, and was active in the United Methodist Women's Group as long as her health permitted. The Women's Group named her Woman of the Year in 2004, and she inspired the St. James Clothes Closet for the Needy named in her honor. We call it Betty Lou's Closet. Not a famous name, no celebrity here, and yet a life lived as one devoted to Christ. I'm sure she sacrificed for her own two daughters, 
But I would also imagine reading about her that she sacrificed for the students and the teenagers with whom she worked. I would bet that her love for them caused suffering in her own life as she was working for their good. I believe she was always working out of her foundation of faith, hoping that these teens who were struggling might see in her, might hear in her the love of God that she had come to know in Jesus Christ. A life lived out of love, a life of service and sacrifice, maybe even suffering. I think Betty Lou Donaldson is a great example of what Paul is talking about this morning. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday was last Monday. Caused me to read some more about his life and some of his writings I read to you a week or so ago from one of his writings. This is a different one. This one's called Pilgrimage to Nonviolence. It's sort of a biographical piece where he talks about how he grew up in what he called a fundamentalist home. His father was a preacher. How he was able to go to college and then on to seminary. How he ran into other ideas and great thinkers of the world, Christians and others that expanded his thinking and challenged him in his faith. He writes about how he encountered Gandhi's ideas of nonviolent resistance and how they began to infiltrate his mind as perhaps an effective way to do the work of civil rights in America. But then toward the very end of this particular essay, he talks about his own faith and his own personal struggles. I want you to hear a little bit of this. He writes, Due to my involvement in the struggle for the freedom of my people, I've known very few quiet days in the last few years. I've been imprisoned in Alabama and Georgia jails 12 times. My home has been bombed twice. A day seldom passes that my family and I are not the recipients of threats of death. I have been the victim of a near-fatal stabbing. So in a real sense, I've been battered by the storms of persecution. I must admit that at times I have felt that I could no longer bear such a heavy burden and have been tempted to retreat to a more quiet and serene life. But every time, such a temptation appeared. Something came to strengthen and sustain my determination. I have learned now that the master's burden is light precisely when we take his yoke upon us. He goes on, My trials have also taught me the value of unmerited suffering. As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways in which I could respond to my situation, either to react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course. Recognizing the necessity of suffering, I've tried to raise it to a virtue if only to save myself from bitterness, I've attempted to see my personal ordeals and as an opportunity to transfigure myself 
and heal the people involved in the tragic situation which now obtains. I have lived these last few years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. There are some who still find the cross a stumbling block. Others consider it foolishness. But I'm more convinced than ever before that it is the power of God unto social and individual salvation. I hope you can hear Paul's words echoing in the background. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. And not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I would suggest to you that Paul is calling on these early Christians at Corinth to hear what he's saying and to look to Christ. I think Paul is not looking for changed opinions alone. He is looking for changed lives. Lives lived like Betty Lou's and lives of service lived like Dr. King. Paul is trying to remind them as they get caught up in their own pettiness and factionalism that their salvation and their wholeness of life is not going to be found in any local leader in Corinth. Paul is saying, let Christ change your life. Let the power of God through the cross shape your life of service, fill you with such divine love that you're willing and eager to suffer and to sacrifice for someone else. I think Paul is looking for lives lived like Jesus lived his life. A life that cares so deeply about others. And one is able to set oneself comfort aside at times for the cause of Christ. Paul is telling them the good news is that God is offering them salvation and wholeness and fullness of life but they'll see it clearest through the cross of Christ. That they'll come to experience the fullness of their salvation when they recognize that this magnificent love of God that will go to any extent to bring us home is love that is available for you and me. And it's that, that love that unites us despite any other differences we may have. We find in this letter that Paul is calling for unity. But that he does not expect uniformity. Later in the letter, he's going to talk about how this can be. He uses for the body of Christ, for the church, for this group at Corinth, the metaphor of the physical body. And he says, it's like this. We've all been given gifts, but they're to be used for the good of the common group for the whole group for the body of christ for the church when he uses that metaphor he says some are like an eye and they have that gift others are like an ear some are like a hand others are like a foot but that that gives none of us 
standing to say, oh, I'm an eye, so I don't need you because you're like an ear, so you're not like me, so you're not needed or wanted. Or I'm doing the work of a hand and you're just walking around like a foot, so you're of no good to me. Paul says, oh, no. God has arranged all of us within the body. Just like God arranges the physical body, they are to work in tandem with one another, even when they have different gifts and different functions. Oh, Paul wants them to have the same mind. It's the mind of Christ. He wants them to have the same purpose to serve others and to proclaim the love of God and let God build the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. But Paul recognizes we're not all going to do that in the same way. That God has not gifted us all in the same way. I think it's a fair summary of Paul to say, be yourself, but do so with love and care for others. I believe what Betty Lou Donaldson's friends and family said about her earlier could be our guide. Do you remember? They said, first and foremost, she was loving. She was a strong character and continually stood up for what she believed in. She was sweet, but she was tough. She was kind and gentle, but she was also fierce. May this fierce love reveal to us in the cross of Christ guide us today and all of our days. Amen and thanks be to God.